My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. It's tech and all his friends. It's tech if tech were forged in the fiery chasms of Mount Doom. It's tech, the end of tech as we know it. Uh, You say tech, I say tech, let's call the whole thing off. It's tech for tech's sake. It's long-running boy band, tech that. It's enough of this introduction. It's the UK Tech Weekly podcast, uh, casually foghorning its way into the cold, unforgiving cliffs of Tech Island to bring you two score minutes of unassuming goss of what's hot in the world of things powered by electricity. (laughs) <laughs> Keeping it strictly business, this week we have Lewis Painter, Senior Staff Writer at Tech Advisor and Macworld UK. Hello. Keeping it strictly ballroom, it's Tamlin McGee, Online Editor at Tech World. Hello. And please keep your hands exactly where I can see them at all times, it's Don Preston, Staff Writer at Tech Advisor and Macworld UK. Hey. Things are about to get pretty special up in here as we tackle the big ish of Apple's mysterious upcoming event, WikiLeaks farting on everyone's week again, and people moaning about the Nintendo Switch. Strap in and take notes please, I'll be asking questions. We talk long and often about Apple on the UK Tech Weekly, and listeners may feel that we give undue attention to tech's biggest, shiniest, and probably richest company. But a bit like rubbernecking a terrible accident, it's actually quite hard to pull your eyes away, Uh, and indeed sometimes your wallet. Uh, Lewis Painter is a self-confessed living and breathing but positive example of an eye-lifer, and like millions around the world, will wait with debit card in hand for Apple's next big product announcement. So Lewis, why are we talking about this today? And what are we expecting from Mr. Cook and Co? That is the most accurate description of me I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> you can have that. <laughs> That's my Twitter bio sorted now. Okay, um, yeah, no, so the rumour is that there's going to be a Apple event at some point in March. Usually is, isn't there? Yeah, there has been for the past two years. They started off uh, when they announced the Apple Watch back in 2015 and the MacBook, which you have. I, I do. think, yeah. Yep. Um, and then last year, they kind of in- they introduced the uh, iPad Pro 9.7 inch and um, the iPhone SE as well. That's so right, we're expecting yeah. interesting things from this event if it does happen this year. What do you think they will announce, and why are they using March to do it? Okay, uh, see, usually we assume that it's going to be it's it's focused on laptops because that's what it used to be. But yep. more recently, so in, in 2016, rather than focusing on the uh, Mac line, Apple uh, focused on the iPad and the iPhone, and then slowly, uh, quietly updated the MacBook and the MacBook Air a few weeks yep. later. So we expect kind of incremental upgrades for the MacBook and uh, you know, possibly the MacBook Air, but that might be dead now because mm. you know last year it had an incremental upgrade uh it hasn't really had much attention paid to it for you know, at least a few years now 
Um, and it just kind of seems that the MacBook and the MacBook Pro are the two that Apple are really pushing at the moment in terms of design and usability. Yeah, they, I suppose they're trying to move slowly over to USB-C as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're using a MacBook Air to record this podcast, and the office just got a couple of new uh, Macs for the editorial team to share, and they're both MacBook Airs. It's weird how the computer <laughs> that everyone still insists on using is the one that Apple is actually trying to kill off. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's always the way, isn't it? Yeah, so we had the uh, iPhone SE event that was on 21st of March last year. Yep. So we're thinking around the same time, maybe a week later. Uh, See, so this is the question, because it was on the 21st last year, but it was on the 9th in 2015. So okay. there's quite a bit of variation there. But the um, common theme is that they're both on Mondays. So we expect it uh, okay. to be on a Monday. Uh, so that'll be a nice way for us to start the week. Uh, but there has been one recent, <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> the, the most recent rumors suggest they might actually be pushed back to early April. Okay. Um, because this is due to stock levels on the um, online store uh, for the iPad that, yeah. Pro 12.9. Um, when you in the US, if you go on there and you try to book one to pick up in store, uh, there's no stock in store until the fourth of April. That's quite. That's that's about three weeks, maybe yeah. three and a half weeks away. So that's yeah. quite unusual. So I mean, we love to s- s- uh, you know skate around the internet trying to find rumors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it ties in with the fact that um, Apple said that their new campus, Apple Park, yep. is due to open in in April 2017 as well. So right, it's yeah. speculated that they pushed it back uh, an extra couple of weeks so and that it, they can have the grand reveal in at the, the campus. In the Steve Jobs Theatre. Yeah, right? Steve Jobs yep. Theatre. So, uh, cool. We will uh, keep our ears to the ground. And also, the other um, interesting angle here is that if it were around the 30th of March, or, or around that time, it was um, Samsung yes. has their Galaxy S8 event in New York, New York and London on the... 29th. 29th. Day before. We're so about steal its thunder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apple is really going to try and um, steal Samsung there, isn't it? Because they really... Samsung we pretty much decided have delayed that event to not only make sure their phone is as good as it can be after yep. the Note 7, but also to get past all the hubbub of MWC. Yeah, separate itself from the LG G6 and everything else that was announced there. Yep. And, uh, you know, it seemed like a very good idea until, you know, if this does come true <laughs> and it is at the, uh, you know, the following day, it will be slightly awkward for Samsung. Um, yeah, it's going to be a busy week. <laughs> oh, I know. It's going to be great. Um, as well as the iPads and the Macs yep. and stuff like that. Some people are speculating there might be a second generation iPhone SE. But I'm not mm-hmm. so sure about that. No. Uh, because when the iPhone SE was released last year, it was kind of a generation uh, back in terms of its internals. So it had the 6S, yep. but it had iPhone 6 internals. Okay. And it didn't really have the cheap price point to make consumers be like, okay, well, the internals might not be as good, but it's £200, so whatever. It was still like, I think it was like between 350 and £400, which is not that far off, you know, iPhone. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, uh, the, still pretty premium pricing. Yeah, for like something that's essentially mid-range and it's got yeah. a four-inch screen. You know, there was, it was just, a, it, it, in my opinion, it was a little bit of an underwhelming um, product. You know, they can bring it back this year, give it a, a design similar to the iPhone 6 curved instead of looking like an iPhone 5, which is extremely dated now. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, upgrading the front panel, giving it a better camera, giving it the 3D touch uh, tech. True. You know, give it all those kind of things. Give Make it a proper Apple product. And I think it has the potential to do well because a lot of people do want the small iPhone, even if I don't. <laughs> a few people in the office have one, either on contract or because they've been like a review unit. Um, to me, it kind of makes sense. And I don't think they will change it. I don't see them giving it uh, the body of, a, of the iPhone 6 because no. that is so similar to the iPhone 7, which they yeah. won't update. Yeah. So I just think that that line will be too confusing, but I do agree with you that... I, mean, uh, I think it's pretty confusing at the moment anyway. Yeah. Trying to explain all this to people that aren't in the Apple bubble. Yeah. So yeah. Like, well, why are they doing that then? And just before uh, we sort of uh, ask Tamlin what he, what he thinks about all these these uh, consumer things that we get bogged down in, um, <laughs> do we all agree that the, um, the formats of the 
basically Steve Jobs pioneered when he when he sort of asked, there were presentations for the iPod, but they can look like kind of charmingly small uh, when you actually look, you can look at the um, the launch of the iPod in two thousand and one, and it mm-hmm. basically looks like it's in a, a school lecture theatre, and then bring it to, to two thousand and seven with the iPhone and everything, and then these bombastic events that they put on, and obviously that then dates back to when he released um, the Mac in the eighties and things. So. Is it a tired format? Why do we still manage to get ourselves so excited about it and indeed the uh, money spending public? I mean, I think it's something that Apple's cultivated over the years. You know, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be proved wrong, but yeah. I don't really remember any other company get, generating as much hype for a press conference as Apple did. You know, and it's only in recent years that other companies like Google and yeah. everybody else has really jumped on this trend of live streaming their events, showing it to the public at the same time as it does to the press. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's something that Apple's really pushed forward. And, um, I mean, I don't know why we get so excited about it. It's just technology at the end of the day. But hey, this is what we're here for. <laughs> yes. you know, an, an old colleague of mine at a different magazine described Apple fans as a cargo cult. And <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, listening to you three, I would probably agree with that. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably agree with that as well. <laughs> this is the thing, because when we see other companies do it, um, Google does it slightly better than the one I was thinking of, which is Microsoft. And we kind of take the mick out of these events. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then we still try and take the mick out of it in our own special british way with apple but then on the days when we're reporting it as soon as as soon as it starts we just we just, we just actually love it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's really hard not to get carried away uh, with it i mean uh, apple's marketing is yeah. just absolutely insane. you know those product videos i'm pretty sure there's some kind of hypnosis in those videos because <laughs> especially with the iphone 7 i didn't watch the event live i made a point of not watching the event live i was busy that day and i was like i'm not going to watch the video but i won't buy an iphone 7 I ended up watching the video and I ended up buying an you iPhone, an 7, iPhone plus. 7 Plus. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, I have an iPhone 7 as well. So. <laughs> but I mean, I think it is a case of kind of preaching to the choir. I mean, I've never been a big Apple guy. I never yeah. had an iPhone. The last Apple product I bought was probably an iPod Classic about 10 years ago. <laughs> wow. And, you know, I've just never bothered to follow any of the press conferences. You know, I'll pay attention professionally, but it doesn't interest me in any particular way. I'd never care to watch it live. And I think if you're not already part of the Apple ecosystem, it's... Yeah. It is just another blip of, oh yeah, there's a new iPhone, cool, fine. Absolutely, I don't think I'll ever be won over to their products. I had an iPad 2 ages ago, whenever that was, and it was nice, but you know, it wasn't like life-changing to me or anything, but maybe it's just kind of my take on consumer technology in general rather than anything about Apple specifically. (laughs) Is there anything comparable in the B2B landscape uh, whipping up so much um, excitement about, well, what is a press conference, but obviously Apple's cleverly branded as like an event that they have, which is obviously like a monumental word that they stick on the front. (laughs) No, I think ultimately us in B2B are just fundamentally more cynical than you guys. Yeah, Yeah, that's the thing. We're talking about our fake cynicism. We like to to pretend we're not really excited, Mm. but... We're going to have to write about it, and we probably will. It probably does help <laughs> yeah. being relatively excited. So, so we think that they will shy away from the Mac. Are we thinking about anything iPad shaped as well? Because last time we thought yes. maybe there'd be an iPad Air three. Turned out to be a smaller uh, nine point seven inch iPad Pro. Will yeah. they do a iPad Mini size Pro, which would actually quite heavily contradict their statement when they released the huge one in the first place yeah i think they're, they're starting to cannibalize their ipad line somewhat it's, it's their, their current lineup's really confusing and it's hard to understand what who's who's the um you know the the main target for what mm. um because you've got the 12.9 inch ipad pro you've got the 9.7 inch ipad pro you've got the ipad air 2 uh, which is also 9.7 inches and yep. the ipad mini 4 <laughs> which is um yeah 6.9 yeah Something 7.9. Like 7.9, that's the one, yeah. yeah. Um, it's very confusing. So it's all very confusing, but uh, according to the latest rumours, we're going to get a new iPad Pro 12.9. We're going to get not a new iPad Pro um, 9.7, but a standard iPad Pro 9.7. 
which right. will somehow be different <laughs> to the Pro One that was released last year, but no one's quite sure how. And in addition to that, yeah. there's also speculation they're going to release a brand new 10.5-inch iPad just to confuse things a little bit more. So, I mean, if you do a 10.5, is it just going to be something that's basically bezel-less but the same size as another one? I mean, uh, that, is, that 9... is possible, yeah. That would be a very nice way to look at the iPad, but, you know, that's... So I'm that. getting frustrated just talking about it because it, <laughs> it seems like this is a company that should be a victim of its own success, mm-hmm. but... It just, just never is, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Why do they do so well? <laughs> we, we talked on the pod a couple of weeks ago about how potentially this was actually before um, some of the revelations about Uber recently. Um, but that might be a company that is successful now and may not be around as long as we once assumed. Is, is Apple, do we think, really a company that is going to be there forever? I mean, I saw a report back in, I think it was like 2012, 2013, that Apple had hit its peak at that point, And they predicted that the biggest player in the mobile market in 2017 would be Microsoft with its Windows platform and Nokia. So yeah. <laughs> that wasn't a very accurate report. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, people do speculate that Apple's kind of hit its peak. You know, iPad sales are down. Not everyone's buying a new iPad every year. But iPhone sales are strong. Mac, mm, I think they need to work on that a little bit this year. I think if they take it back because I think they're concentrating a lot on the iPhone not enough on the Mac side if they kind of balance things out because their Mac user base is huge yeah you know they can't you can't neglect a user base that big and with Microsoft pushing into the creative space recently yeah they've um, got more rivals there now yeah Apple really needs to kind of work on that this year I think I don't want to sound tight, but they're just so expensive. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Not, not tight at all. I mean, we, we've all probably bought an Apple product at some point, but it does stink. It <laughs> hurts so much, especially, you know, uh, post-Brexit with the uh, price rises across yeah. the board. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned the iPhone SE. Um, that, that went up at least 50 quid um, mm. after, um, well, what we say is Brexit, what Apple won't comment <laughs> on. But, I mean, like, yeah, iPads are all... iPads that have been up for ages have gone up in price. And I think the, yeah. the Mac Pro, the uh, the weird cylindrical yep, high-end uh, Mac, that went up from, I think... It's, it's, it's three grand now, basically. Yep. And it was definitely gone up by four or 500 pounds, which yeah. is just nuts for a product that's now three years old. Um, so we will report on whatever Apple uh, brings up and when that is uh, on the pod, no doubt. So as it's tradition, let's see what you think, everyone. Uh, Lewis, is it iPad, therefore I am, or all <laughs> hell the tech-based sham? iPad, therefore I am. Let's thought be so, thought so. What about you, what about you Tamlin? <laughs> we'll go for the tech-based sham. And um, Yeah, I'm with the, the sham as well. Sham, damn it. Okay, cool. So it's the sham uh, for the first round. Let's see what WikiLeaks brings up next. Uh, so, sitting tight in London's Ecuadorian embassy, one Julian Assange makes frequent global headlines with WikiLeaks, the 11-year-old organisation famous for leaking uh, confidential and often incriminating evidence of government surveillance, violence and just general mishap. Uh, this week, it announced what it has dubbed Vault 7, which sounds at once like a sci-fi film and a terrible new metal band. <laughs> uh, we've got Tamlin McGee here, who's the online editor of TechWorld, to explain briefly what it is and what it all means. In short... Uh, there was a, a massive leak of uh, files that WikiLeaks published that appear to have come from a CIA contractor. Um, the CIA obviously isn't commenting. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> basi- basically, it, it describes a, a bunch of vulnerabilities and exploits in pretty much any platform you can think of. And some more off-color things like ways to hack smart TVs and turn them into listening devices and things like that. But it's an absolutely huge, huge leak. Um Alleged leak. Edward Snowden, the uh, w- the whistleblower who who sort of leaked the NSA information, has described it as a big deal and that it seems genuine. Um, but the, the difference here is, as opposed to the N- 
NSA and GCHQ leaks, which were more about blanket surveillance, these yeah. seem to be uh, targeted methods. Yeah. So ways to compromise individual devices. So if, you, if you're sort of known to the CIA and they want to monitor you, um, they'll be able, be able to, basically. Yeah, definitely. Like um, WikiLeaks is claiming um, this is more um, actual raw material than the Snowden files. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also they're calling they're, it's called vault seven but then they're releasing it in stages right mm-hmm. so at the moment you can sort of dodgily torrent the first part which is called year zero mm-hmm. um and it, uh, i just i wrote down that from the press release they put out year zero introduces the scope and direction of the cia's global covert hacking program it's malware arsenal and dozens of what they call zero day weaponized exploits against a wide range of u.s and european company products and then i thought interestingly they actually go on to say include uh, apple's iphone google's android microsoft's windows and even samsung tvs which are turned into covert microphones mm-hmm, that's right i think one of the concerns at the moment is uh that as you say wikileaks hasn't released at all but if it has access to the code as well, that could easily fall into the wrong hands. Or, yep. And because of the sheer volume of uh, malicious attacks described, like if, if that ended up in the wild, it would be an absolute disaster for cybersecurity, basically. Yeah. Uh, but the, the smart TV thing was interesting. It was something called Weeping Angel. And I think if I remember correctly, it was developed by either GCHQ, the NSA, or maybe both. But it's it's not like they could compromise smart tvs remotely you they'd have to physically go into your house plug a usb stick into the tv and then access it remotely so if you're getting to the point where they're you're probably not need to think about some general home security cyber right maybe leaving the country the bbc reported that the uh the um usb uh, method of getting into those Samsung tellies was also co-written uh, by MI5 as well. Mm-hmm. So, so what does it mean? Why, why would a, why would WikiLeaks? I mean, <laughs> we could start many sentences with that. But why would WikiLeaks <laughs> release something uh, at this point uh, with, with such uh, a massive scope that also implicates so many countries? What are they trying to achieve here? Uh, it implicates those companies as well because yep. there, there's there's uh, details about vendors selling exploits to the CIA mm-hmm. and then the CIA hoarding them. Um, I think one of the, the biggest dangers from it is that the CIA is sitting on these vulnerabilities, which pretty much affects everyone, you know. So it's, it's learning about ways to access devices and then deliberately keeping it secret from companies in order to exploit them. That means there's, there's a, an enormous amount of exploits out there that we had no idea about. Yeah. You know? And then, so what... How do you think the media has reacted to this? Because um, sometimes when you get allegations of sort of these, for want of a better word, conspiracy, but then also what a company will claim is like hard evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, why the media has, I think, a duty to report it in, in the best way. But I've seen a few articles, and I won't, I won't name any publications, but the broadsheet uh, online, which is uh, they wrote quite a, what I thought was a um, irresponsible story saying that people's whatsapp could be compromised that people can spy on you and it was a little bit kind of worry mongering right um, right i think so, yeah i think that's that's a misunderstanding of encryption and cryptography yes. in general well, exactly yeah. um you know if if basically if your endpoint so your phone has been compromised already everything on it is compromised that's pretty much goes without saying if someone mugged you and had your <laughs> phone and your pin code then they'd have everything on your device exactly uh, it's actually good news for whatsapp and signal because the the papers show that the cia hasn't been able to break that encryption and it's one of the few things that they haven't got access to so um yeah that's that story i'm pretty sure another one you're referring to was pretty much incorrect all yes around. <laughs> <laughs> <It was. laughs> 
Uh, there were there were a few other interesting things in the in the papers. Uh, one thing that's probably worth noting is that the CIA is particularly interested in compromising the Internet of Things. That's significant because uh, private vendors, uh, really big corporations like IBM and Intel and so on, are really banking on this play of connecting absolutely everything in the world. Um, so it's interesting to think that you know if our cities are completely connected and their sensors on pretty much every street corner and inside our home as well, it's kind of weaving surveillance into the absolute fabric of everything. So that's fun to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Obviously, we're talking about it. And then it um, forces companies who are mentioned in the report, um, such as Apple, to reply. For example, Apple's statement um, was quite lengthy, which is unusual for Apple sometimes, Mm. but they do tend to take the matter quite seriously, um, as they have historically. They said, the technology built in today's iPhone represents the best data security available to consumers, and we're constantly working to keep it that way. It then uses it as uh, a platform to say that nearly 80% of users run the latest version of iOS, suggesting mm-hmm. the security patches on those things uh, are good enough to um, to get around some, uh, a threat like this. But the companies can say that, and we can't really dispute that they're claiming that. But then obviously... What will the general public really think about these sort of things? I mean, to, to be honest, I think Apple's been quite good, at least publicly, in terms of security. Like you remember the, the story recently where the FBI was demanding encryption keys. And my business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, Apple pretty much refused. Just said no. They said yeah. no. Um, and I think it. I think it emerged that the FBI broke it anyway. But uh, from from Apple's PR, that's that's quite good, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I think cybersecurity is a it's it's really important, but I think there is a tendency to get a little bit too paranoid about these things. You, If you're concerned about it, you should probably use Signal and WhatsApp and sort of run basic 
security considerations. But um, you know, if 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 the CIA or the NSA or GCHQ wants to spy on you, they will. Yeah, they'll find <laughs> a way. They have, they have the resources to do it. You know. Yeah. I, I think mean, I think running around paranoid in your day to day life about it is pretty useless. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, and that brings me to the point: do, do we all feel like this argument kind of goes round and round in circles slightly? Um, like you suggested, intelligence agencies that have such power and often governmental backing, is it kind of futile for us to worry about it as individuals? Obviously, we need to have a strong opinion on it, and most of us here would agree that it is wrong. Mm-hmm. But in the media and personally, I don't know, I think this argument, I'm like, oh, well, I, dis- I really disagree with that. And then you kind of think, well, like you suggest, Hamlin, if someone really wants to read my email, they probably can. It's a political question, isn't it, rather yeah. than a technology question. I mean, I think that... You shouldn't make it easier for them, and you, sh- you should probably use encrypted tools. But also, you know, you're not going to have much luck going up against the state if it wants to come after you. Yeah. So, what next for Mr. Assange up in his uh, Ecuadorian embassy? Uh, with <laughs> I just, what the hell does he do? <laughs> does he, he, does he, he ever leave? Lot, I know look, Pamela Anderson is meant to. Visit he looks him a lot like Noel Edmonds now. He does. <laughs> he is. Maybe, maybe you got a deal or no deal thing coming up. <laughs> but like, how, what would he do? He's been in there for like four and a half years. Mm. He's been he's been veering uh, further and further to the right and been yeah. putting out really dodgy statements every now and again. Um, actually, that brings me to Trump's position on WikiLeaks. I think Excellent. late last year he said, "I love WikiLeaks." <laughs> 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 yeah. Turns out that that's kind of come back to haunt him. Surprise, surprise. Oh dear. Um, and like, Sean, Sean Spicer and Trump have both said that they're they're concerned about it, and the FBI and the CIA are launching a federal, federal investigation into it. Hmm. Again, though, it's a, it's a <laughs> people in very powerful positions who we distrust and uh, mm-hmm. don't really take seriously and we can't do anything about. <laughs> exactly. Um, so does this stir up internationally that countries like the US and the UK can technologically listen in? Um, are we really that worried that our telly's listening to us? Lewis, are you worried about all your tech listening in? Nah. I mean, you know, you see these reports every now and again, like people covering their webcams with tape and stuff like that. I mean, I did have, I'm pretty sure someone was watching me through my home security camera once, my smart oh, camera. How do you know? Because I saw that there's an LED above it that only comes on when somebody's accessed it, the right, live stream. Yeah. And I'm the only one that can access the live stream, but yet the light was still on. Um yes. So I unplugged it straight away, face down, got rid of that, never yeah, bothered with that again. But in terms of day to day, I'm a bit like... There's a search you can do online using a tool called Showdown, and it displays pretty much every open Internet of Things connection, and there are so many unsecured home cameras on it. Yeah. Scary. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you can literally go online and just access home cameras if you want to. You know, I don't think I want to. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. That's, pre- you... that's pretty nutty. For IoT, um, is, is that something that... Like, yeah, the difficulty with that is that there's so many different devices you can't mm-hmm. standardize security no. really yeah. for these things well, it's it's new as well there's efforts to start doing that and yeah. industry standards and so on but um we saw with something called the mirai botnet recently it was a very simple piece of code that started infecting iot devices that didn't have security baked into them and then self-replicated it just found more using <laughs> publicly available open data like showdown you know yeah. it just found yeah dvrs home security cameras um set-top boxes things like that and it's been been able to launch the most powerful DDoS attacks in in history, you know, and that was it, all just it just did it itself. Un, yeah, un, un, well, no, no, it's, it's it can be directed. Oh, right, I thought you meant AI had just decided. <laughs> now I'm worried. It's getting very Terminator now, but um, but it, it just goes to show that you know security isn't 
a real consideration in, in most of these IoT things yeah. at the moment. Because uh, the reason I thought you said that, there's this documentary called Lo and Behold, which is the latest uh, Werner Herzog documentary. Mm. It's kind of it's a bit of a sprawling mess, to be honest. There's one, <laughs> there's one point that really stood out for me, and they were interviewing a guy from a software uh, security company, mm. uh, or maybe network security, if there's a difference. Sorry, B2B. Um, <laughs> and he said, words to the effect of, um, not only could I tell you, can I not tell you that AI won't evolve in such a way that it will become sentient, but I can't actually tell you that it hasn't already happened because it might be so clever that it wouldn't tell us. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is Skynet, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I, I talked to a futurologist about this once, and we're going a bit off topic, but it's okay. Um, and it, it sounded really out there, but he was saying he, he used to be a BT, BT engineer in the 90s, and another future, prominent futurologist also worked with him. And he said, like, way back then, there were, that BT was scared that the switches in the tele, telephone network were already sentient, and they had no, no way of knowing. This was in the 90s. Now, if you think about the sprawling, sprawling data centers out there, or even connected consoles in our homes, there's yep. every possibility, according to these guys, although it sounds completely ludicrous, that, you know, there, there could be a network of PlayStation 4s or Xbox Ones that kind of understands itself and realizes it exists. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, a bit, bit off topic. That's all right. That's okay. We, we, we've come to the end of that section, so that's a harrowing place to leave it. Um, thank you very much. Um, if we go around the room, starting with uh, you, Lewis, is it big up WikiLeaks or shut up conspiracy freaks? I'm going big up WikiLeaks. Yeah? You think yeah. it's important? Okay, Tamlin? Big up WikiLeaks. Dom? Yeah, big up WikiLeaks. Okay. Julian, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, uh, we will... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Maybe we, not we, that Maybe with a mm on the end. Um... <laughs> Let's, uh, we'll come back and <laughs> talk about something slightly lighter in the next section uh, with the Nintendo Switch. We record this pod six days after the official release of Nintendo's latest console, the Switch, and a few of us have had hours to test out whether or not it's worth the hype, and indeed, upwards of £300. As seems to plague Nintendo, what appears at first an innovative, refreshing hardware design is coming in for some brutal online criticism, with reports of faulty units and scratched screens. So, Don Preston, how have you found the Switch, first of all, from a purely gameplay point of view? Uh, mixed, I guess, in the sense that I've had absolutely phenomenal experience playing the new Zelda game, Breath of the Wild. Uh, I've had that for about a week and a half, and I've sunk 40, 50 hours into it oh so far, <laughs> at nice. least. That's your job, it's allowed. So yeah, that's <laughs> sort of my job. Um, and that's, yeah, I'm about halfway through the game, so it's going to be hovering around 100 hours by the time I'm done. Um, and I mean, I'm the sort of guy, I don't normally get into big games like that. I, I prefer smaller sort of four or five hour uh, indie experiences. I tend to get, feel like I don't have the time to commit to huge games like that. Yeah. So it's really rare for me actually to sink that kind of gameplay into a game. Uh, and Zelda has really grabbed me and it is, I'm struggling to imagine, I know we're early in the year, but I'm struggling to imagine a game coming out that is better than that you, for you, me you, this you year. Get, you gave it a rare uh, Tech Advisor five star, didn't you? Yes, absolutely glowing review. I really tried to find bad things to say. And the worst thing I could think of was, there's too much to do. There's just <laughs> too much game. So much game. Yeah, there can't really be a criticism. <laughs> are, you, are you a Zelda fan anyway? Yeah, so I am a long running fan of the series, which I tried to sort of bear in mind and temper things with. And I was really, so that's part of why I was trying to find bad things. I was thinking, you know, I, I don't want to come at this from a biased place. I want to bear in mind... I'm a fan, not everyone will be, but part of what I think makes this game so special is that if you are a fan, you'll love it because it's actually very different to what's come before okay. in the series. It's a big reinvention, they've kept some of the important 
bits, but also brought in a lot of new material um, and really tweaked the format in a way that they haven't in years. And the Zelda games have been very... They've still been very good, but they've been a bit stale for a while. Yeah. It's felt a bit like Nintendo's been in a rut with them, just almost copy and paste, kind of the same kind of thing, just tweaks to the to the world, tweaks to some of the weapons, but basically the same game each time. This feels like a big change. So um, this isn't just Ocarina of Time with a bigger world and, no, better, and better graphics? it's very, very different. And that's part of the reason I think... Uh, I know Lewis has tried it and doesn't totally agree. I'm about to ask him. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it could be a big draw for people who don't love the franchise and haven't okay. played that many Zelda games before. Because that's what I was about to say. For yep. me, um, I'm so, I, I have played Zelda and I do get Zelda games. Yep. Um, I understand why the final and I have completed a few, a few. But I still think that a lot of Zelda's um, appeal yep. is nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even more so than something like Mario is. Because I've, like, yep. I've had like you know known kids and neighbours who have... Like, I've seen them grow up and like obviously didn't know Mario and then just love it. Yeah, Zelda I think is definitely one of those games that kind of is based on nostalgia. And Lewis, um, big gamer, <laughs> hasn't really ever played Zelda, and you didn't get on with it. No, yeah. I, I, initially, you know, I, I'm not saying it's not a technically impressive game. You know, the fact that you can swing a sword and cut blades of grass or you can chop down trees. You know, it, it's a very interactive world. It's very smart. Like if you have your torch by your side and you're near long grass, it will catch fire. And then you know, yeah. that will spread. You know, it's very smart like that. But in terms of the actual game itself, I just wasn't overwhelmed. I mean, it might be because I've been playing Horizon Zero Dawn on the PS4 recently, and I am absolutely in love with that game. So that's done uh, an open world correctly, in your opinion, better than yeah. No Man's Sky. Yeah. Oh yeah. No Man's Sky is just out. <laughs> I, just, I haven't dead. played that game in, in, in about a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just yeah. No Man's Sky was dead. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, I really liked because. It's something different to what's been offered before, kind of with the mechanical dinosaur kind of thing and stripping down of of the dinosaurs, not just shooting and killing things and Mm. stuff like that. It's a a more tactical way of playing open world games. Um, Whereas Zelda, you know, I think it was the story that I just couldn't get into more than anything. And the fact that um, it wasn't all uh, voice acted. You know, there's a lot of just on-screen text that you have to read. I'm I'm really engaged with, like, proper voice acting and stuff like that. That's pretty standard Zelda, isn't it? Link never actually says anything. There Um, is a bit of voice acting in this one, but it's it's just the cutscenes, and Link is still silent, in fact. Yeah, right. Um, So they've sort of gone a little bit that way, but it's a very hesitant step. Mm -hmm. Have you ever played any Zelda games, Tamlin? Yeah, I had Wind Waker and the the one the original Game Boy, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, even even with that, I've got no particular nostalgia for Zelda. So really? Yeah. I'm not like super excited about it. Yeah, same here. I never had a uh, N64, so I had Wind Waker on my GameCube, and I've played a few of the DS titles and a couple of the Game Boy ones as well. Yeah. And it's something I can kind of pick up and you can kind of just plow through. Mm. But um, I, I I haven't yet played Breath of the Wild. I would like to, mm. but. To take it back to the hardware and some of the things that people have been talking about this week. Um, First of all, people have been saying it's too expensive, but is it too expensive? Because people are comparing that to uh, PS4 and Xbox One, which have been out for over three years. Yeah, I think it's a mixed bag in that respect. So the the price tag for the main console is 280 which I think is fair. Uh, For the launch price of a console, that's very reasonable. Um, It seems expensive if you compare it to, say, the base model PlayStation 4 or, or Xbox One at the moment, which you could get for less than that with a game thrown in. But of course, those are three, four-year-old consoles, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and the Switch still comes in cheaper than the PS4 Pro, and it comes in cheaper than we're expecting the Xbox Scorpio to be okay. later this year. So if you compare it to sort of new hardware, it seems pretty reasonably priced. The problem comes in all the other stuff you have to buy. So... <laughs> There's a Pro Controller, which is more like a traditional gamepad. You the, don't the one that's used in all the marketing. 
No, it's not. They haven't marketed it much. No. You're thinking of the Joy-Con grip, which okay. does come with the console. That lets you slot the two mini controllers into a yeah, little grip that makes what, it a I bit was... more like a normal controller. It's okay. not very comfortable, though, is but it? But yeah, it's fine. a bit small. It's not totally comfortable. The yeah. Pro Controller is bigger, more comfortable, more, uh, and just feels more comfortable if you want to play a big game like Zelda for hours and hours and hours. Um, it's not a necessary purchase, but I've really enjoyed using it, and it's definitely my preferred way to play. But it's £65. Okay. Which yeah. compared to, say, a new PS4 controller, which you can normally get £40, £45. So it, it feels like that's very steep. If you want to get another pair of the Joy-Con controllers, which are the ones that come bundled in, it's £75 for a pair of them. Yeah. And again, these are all optional things, but there'll be some games where, you know, there's a game called Arms, a boxing game coming out uh, in spring. You will need, if you want to do local multiplayer, you'll need a second pair of Joy-Con, and that's £75 that you're going to have to spend. So have you... That's a lot. Yeah. That <laughs> have, is you, a lot. have you experienced um, any of the problems that people were reporting, for instance, the screen being scratched when taken in and out of the uh, dock? I haven't noticed that. Uh, so there's been a mix of sort of problems reported, some small, some uh, more serious. There's been the usual sort of stuff you get with any device like this. Some people saying they've had dead pixels. Some people have just had totally bricked units. But any big hardware launch, there'll be a, a small number that get that. Yeah. Um, a fair few people said they've had scratches to the device when they put it in and out of the dock, which is how it connects to the TV. Uh, I think what people are actually saying is, I haven't seen anyone saying the main screen is getting scratched, but it's the bezel around the screen. All right. Um, which Frust- still isn't great, though. but that's, yeah. I haven't had that myself, um, but what? I can see from the dock design, there's nothing sort of padded to it at all or anything. And if you just put it in, you know, part of the joy of the console is you can very quickly take it out and put it back into the dock and go straight. You don't want to be having to be very fiddly and precise as you slot it in. So I can see that if some people are getting scratches, that suggests the dock maybe needs a slight tweak and you could see a redesign down the line. And did you also have trouble connectivity-wise on one of the controllers? Yeah. so this is the bigger problem. This is more widespread. Uh, I made a point of mentioning this in my review of the console because I've had problems with it. I've had very bad problems, actually. Uh, so what happens is... The left Joy-Con controller, when it's connected to the console via Bluetooth when using it wirelessly, sometimes it just drops its connection. And it'll just be for a few seconds at a time, then it reconnects by itself. Um, But it happens too much for my liking. I gave up on trying to play Zelda with it. That's why I said I've been using the Pro Controller because I was losing connection too much and I was getting really frustrated. (coughs) Um, I hoped it was going to be a firmware problem. There was going to be a big sort of launch day patch. Uh, but that didn't include any sort of uh, software fix for the problem. And now people have broken down the controllers, taken them apart, and it looks like it might actually be a bit of poor hardware design uh, that's to blame, which is that's bad. <laughs> very bad. So the issue is that the uh, the antenna in the right controller, which is the one that's working fine, is bigger and positioned in a different place to the one in the left controller. The left controller, just they have slightly different tech inside them, um, they each have some slightly different sensors, and it looks like Nintendo compromised on the antenna placement and size in the left one, and it's not good. Have there been any other instances uh, in gaming of hardware malfunction like that at launch that's compromised the success of something? Um, I mean, there were things like, I think it was the Xbox 360 for years was played by what's called the Red Ring of Death, <laughs> uh, which is... Subtle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> It's about as good as it sounds. It was just a lot of consoles that so just ran power button and died. Yeah. And um, that happened to me. Did he? Yeah. yeah. So Microsoft ended up having to replace a lot of consoles for that. Um, I seem to remember something about the Wii U strap 
Um, not the Wii U, the, the Wii. individual Wii straps for the controllers were a bit... The Wii wrist straps, the, yeah, the original straps that came with the Wiimotes were a bit too thin, so they broke sometimes and controllers flying into people's tellies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Nintendo sent everyone uh, replacement straps that were a bit okay. thicker. But, I mean, that's a little bit of fabric. That's yeah. uh, that's pennies per unit. If they're going to have to replace everyone's left Joy-Con controller, which they're selling for £40 on its own, mm. if they're having to send one of those out to everyone with a, Wii, with a Switch... That could be very expensive. I mean, I think the fact that they've issued guidelines to help negate the effect means that they're not going to be replacing them anytime soon. They just think people are going to have to deal with it. Yeah. But then yeah. some of their recommendations are absolutely ridiculous. They yeah. say to keep them at least four foot away from any other Wi-Fi enabled device. Yeah, which is useful. I mean, I have it sitting next to my TV yeah. like everyone will. Yeah. And my TV is a Wi-Fi yeah. device. Yeah, so you've got your router and your phone. Exactly. And exactly. You can't um, get away from it. So... I've used, uh, in my notes, I've used the word mercilessly. Maybe that's um, maybe they're not mercilessly picked on. But why is it that Nintendo gets so much flack um, for usually it's new hardware? Because you have something yep. like the Wii that was a runaway success. Um, it sold ridiculously well. And then the DS, the original one at least, um, practically sold as much as a- any Game Boy has ever sold. But then obviously it is kind of intermittently, it does do something like the Wii U, which is probably a mistake yep, hardware-wise. And the 3DS yeah. hasn't sold as well. Why can't Nintendo get it right first time is it just because it's trying to do something different yeah yeah i mean they're always trying something adventurous you could never fault them for that uh the switch is doing something no one else is trying to do and i mean that's partly the whole portable hybrid thing but actually that's the bit that's working fine uh, but the Joy-Con controllers have a lot of cool new tech in them that no other controller out on the market has like hd rumble oh. uh, ir motion cameras <laughs> like there's a lot of stuff in there that they haven't really shown off to its full potential yet and so it's not surprising and, and in a tiny tiny form factor so it's not really that surprising something's gone wrong um but, but, but I mean, the future looks good for it though i think because you fix that controller problem yeah. get a ton more games oh, that's, i think that's the biggest issue for me at the moment as someone that has a ps4 you know yeah it might be three or four years old, but, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of games available mm. for it, whereas on the Switch it's fairly limited at the moment, and I think they're all pretty expensive because it's all new. Mm. Well, I mean, it's just the tough position of because Nintendo have broken out of the traditional yeah. release cycle. It yeah. used to be every manufacturer would release their new console within the same 12-month period, so they'd all be on a level footing of launch, very few games, not much to do in it, but all build up together. Nintendo's broken out of that, so now they're coming in right in the middle of the PS4 Xbox One cycle. Yeah. So they're not competing with other launch devices. Yeah. They're competing with consoles with tens of millions of users and years worth of games built up. To me, it seems like if you if you like flagship Nintendo games like Mario or Zelda or whatever, then you'll probably get one. Yeah. If you don't, you won't. And it's it's like pretty clear cut, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. Nintendo hardware release. In terms of the launch, in terms of the first year, yeah, that definitely looks the case. The big question for Nintendo is basically whether they can get some big... Uh, multi-platform games that make the most of the portable setup if they can get some of the big titles and say and you can play it at home or on the go that could be a draw for a lot of people because that's something they can't do with their ps4 or xbox and just quickly when is mario is it odyssey coming out mario odyssey is currently holiday 2017 so vague yeah okay well vaguely we're excited about that and hopefully the price might come down and we're not going to write it off just yet. No, no, I'm a big fan. I'm a really big fan of the Switch. So on that note, Dom, uh, start switching or keep bitching? Start switching. What are you, Tamlin? Start switching. Yeah, excellent. Mm-hmm. Lewis? Keep bitching. Keep bitching. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, I haven't written an outro, but that was the 55th episode of the UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and see you next week. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. 
Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.